You can take a seat, and as you do, would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you for the grace just in those simple words to come, just to come to you. Lord, we sit here this morning, and for some of us, we remember, we remember being far from you. We remember that first time we heard your voice in that way, beckoning us to come, find rest in your arms. Lord, for some of us, we've walked with you for some time, and yet we doubt your rest. We doubt your sufficiency. We've encountered questions in our life we didn't think to ask before, problems in our life we haven't confronted before. Or maybe just the the long-term struggle with things that we had hoped we'd be over by now. And yet you say, come, find rest, refreshment. Come, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Lord, we come to you now as needy as ever. We come to you now believing and seeking to believe that you are as sufficient as ever. And we come to you knowing that you haven't only called us to come. As we're gonna see in your word this morning, you've called us to go. To go and proclaim this good news to others and call them to come find rest and refreshment and new life in you. So Lord Jesus, this morning as we open your word, will you remind us of the work you have done, are doing, and will do in our lives? Would you remind us then of the work that you have called us to join you in, in the lives of others? We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series on the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. And Billy, I reminded myself to do this, and I think I forgot to grab the clicker. So if you don't mind running that up here to me, that would be great. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look in verses 18 through 20. This is week four of our, of our summer series in the Great Commission. In the first week, we kind of did an overview of Matthew 28, saw this as the culmination of the gospel of Matthew, saw it as this declaration in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. The second week, I really unpacked this idea of Jesus' authority, that he shows us this new way, but really an old way, of exercising authority in a way that brings blessing and healing, not oppression to those around us. Last week, Todd really focused in on these ideas of why we make disciples and how we go about doing it. And he looked at this with us and he showed us that in many ways, when we look at these verses in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this great commission, there is one key command that Jesus gives us to make disciples of all nations. That's the command. That's the imperative in this passage. And then Todd walked us through last week how with that command, there are these three Participles, these, these verbal adjectives that kind of hang on to this command and inform how we go about doing it. If you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple, you have been called to engage in the making of disciples. And how do we make disciples? Through the going and the baptizing and the teaching. That's the how of it. And what we're going to do over today and over the next three weeks is we're going to just look at each one of those participles in succession. Where Today, we're going to focus on this word, Go. What does it mean to go as a part of this commission? The next week, baptism. 
And the week after that, this idea of teaching to keep all that Jesus has commanded. That's the how. How do we engage in this global mission of discipleship? In these three ways. But real quick, I want to take a minute or so. Before we jump back into the how to make disciples, to step back and think about what? What does it mean to be a disciple? What is it that we're trying, not just how do we make it, but what are we trying to make in this whole mission of discipleship? Now, as you walked in this morning and maybe went over to get some coffee or a donut, you may have seen this sign up on the wall. I would encourage you, almost make a habit of that. When you walk in, especially if you come in on this side, take a moment, read that little sign up there and remind yourself, what is it that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm called to be? And what am I called to join in the lives of others? We, this is our simple kind of roadmap definition of what we believe it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus who's learning from Jesus, him specifically. You're not a disciple of me or Todd or anybody else. We collectively are seeking to follow Jesus. But not only are we learning from him, not just gaining information or practicing the model he gave us, we're trusting him, trusting Jesus, believing who he is, seeking to obey what he says. And not just learning and trusting, but becoming like Jesus. That the gospel is not just a message we believe for future salvation, it is a message that transforms us to be like the one that we follow. And if we are disciples who are learning from Jesus, trusting Jesus, and, and, and becoming like Jesus, then we are also called to participate that in each other's lives, to help others on that journey. Here at Cornerstone, the way that we acknowledge this idea that to be a disciple is to be engaged in making disciple, disciples is through what we call church membership. So even last September when we were talking about membership, I took one whole Sunday just to walk through this definition of a disciple. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Um, uh, check it out again, because it still remains key to what we're trying to do. I would also say that if you haven't joined us in this commitment of membership yes, I yet, I would encourage you to do that too. This membership is not some elite club with special perks. It is the stated formal commitment, not an assumed commitment. We've learned when you assume commitments, well, we know what assuming does to you and me, right? So not assuming it, but stating it, looking one another in the eyes and saying, yes, we want to pursue being disciples who are engaged in making disciples. You can find more information about membership at the info table in the lobby. And I would even say this fall, we're, we're hoping to create some, some smaller groups of people where, where we can walk through what it means to be committed to one another as a local church family. So, so stay tuned for that as well. So that's the what. Now let's come back to the who, or the, not the who, the how. This is what we're seeking to do. How do we go about doing it? And as I mentioned, there's those three participles, these three verbal adjectives that describe what it means to make disciples. And today we're really just gonna focus in on that first one, to go. And we're gonna look at this word go from four different angles. Four aspects of what does it mean to go in this mission to make disciples. And already you might be thinking, okay, especially if you know me, you know that I can be a fairly analytical person and go, seriously, is this a, are you trying to do too much here? Milk too much out of this one word? Well, I would say no, not just because I'm an analytical person. But I would say this, if you have had any training in what we call Bible study methods, hermeneutics, how we study God's word, you know that anytime we look at a, even a particular word within scripture, you don't just look at that word in isolation on its own. You look at that word in its 
context. The way it's related to the other words in the same sentence, paragraph, chapter, book, and within the whole story of God. That's the way we go about studying God's word. And I would say that as we do that, we pay attention to the way that this one word go fits into the overall great commission that Jesus gives us. And then the way even this great commission that Jesus gives us serves as the culmination, the climax of the entire book of Matthew. Well, then we see that when Jesus commands his disciples to disciple all nations, he's telling them, everything that I've gone and done with you over the last three plus years is the model for the way I'm now calling you to go and do the same thing with others. Go make disciples like I've discipled you and then keep going to all nations. It's kind of like this. Um, when I was a, a, like a, a, a high schooler growing up in the church in the 90s, for there's this one summer where these bracelets got really popular that had four letters on them. W-W-J-D. What did that stand for? What would Jesus do? It meant to be a helpful reminder in different situations in life. As I'm going into this situation, this argument with my parents, again, I'm a high schooler at that point, and that happened a lot. What would Jesus do here, right? Make you think, okay, what would he do? How do I seek to have my character shaped like him? There's kind of a little bit of different but similar question I've been asking as I've been studying this idea of going. Not just what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus go about making disciples? And how does that inform how we go about doing it? And that's kind of how I zeroed in on these kind of four angles. So the four angles that we're going to look at with this idea of go, it's kind of in two pairs that we'll look at. We'll spend more time on the first one and then a little bit shorter on the second one. What does go mean in relation to the time, the timing of disciple making? And then the circumstances, the settings in which we do it. And then what does go mean both locally and globally. That's what we're going to really focus on. So the first one we're going to look at is this idea of the timing of it. What do we learn about the timing of discipleship from this word go? And I guess you could say it's like this. When we see go therefore and make disciples of all nations, from a timing perspective, it's almost like we could add this word in there. Go in, go now. Think about it like this. It's, it's like as if I were to go home today and say to one of my kids, go clean your room. What does that word go add to the command or instruction to clean your room? When you get to it, <laughs> when it fits in your schedule, when you feel like it? No, we, we, we understand pretty regularly that sometimes when we add go onto an instruction, we're saying it's go time. It's time to go. Green means go, go. Go do it now, right? There is a sense of immediacy in this. We actually find a very similar construction earlier in Matthew 28 where we see this word go connected to a command, another participle connected to a command. Back in verse 7, this is where the, uh, the two women, the two Marys that come to the tomb looking for Jesus' body and instead of finding Jesus, they find an angel. And the angel lets them know Jesus rose. And then in verse 7, he says this, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Same thing. The command is to tell, and the go is, is this participle attached to it. And especially when you see that little adverb quickly added on there, that really gives us the timing of it, right? Go quickly. Ladies, you can't stay here at the tomb and tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. 
You need to go where the disciples are. And they need this information as soon as possible, so go now. Does that make sense? In the same way, that's this idea, go now. But not just go now. Go now to make disciples of all nations. You can't stay in one spot and make disciples of all nations. You must go where the nations are. Go where? To the nations. Go when? Now. It's go time. Can't stay there on the mountain in Galilee where Jesus is with them. They must go where the nations are. But stop and think about this for a minute. If Jesus says go to the nations, they already were in a nation, right? They were already amongst one group of people, the Jewish people, the people in Galilee and Judea and Samaritans and so forth. So it's not necessarily that Jesus is saying that they need to leave where they are, but he's also saying you can't just stay there either. We're going to come back to that more when we get to the local and global aspects of this. But again, keep in mind, when Jesus says go now in verse 19, he's saying it's go time. But at the same time, keep in mind that when Jesus says go now, this is coming after more than three years of intentional daily discipleship with Jesus. That's important to keep in mind. Three years before Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28 to go, he first said, come. Come follow me. He sees Peter and Andrew sitting there mending their nets on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he says to them in Matthew 4, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. From the very beginning, he says, come follow me. I'm not sending you somewhere yet. Come follow me because I'm going to make something out of you. I'm going to make you fishers of men, a, a, a metaphorical way to say, you're going to help me draw other people into this. You're going to be my disciple makers. Not today, but let's walk together. Come follow me and I will be about doing this. And then everything that Jesus did from the moment that their discipleship journey with Jesus began, everything that he said to them, did with them, sent them to go and do, was all part of their discipleship. It was all part of training them for their future mission to be these fishers of men. Does that make sense? So even as we look in Matthew 28 at the immediacy, go now, keep that in mind with the whole book. First was come, follow me. I'll disciple you through this. And now the culmination, here's what's so dang cool because here's, here's the danger on the other side. If we take Jesus' commission to make disciples of all nations and then we pull it out of its context and just put it on mugs and t-shirts and walls of church buildings out of that context and we forget the hands-on personal process of discipleship that Jesus took these men through before he said go, we're going to set ourselves up for failure and frustration and even those that we seek to disciple up for that too. Jesus doesn't call us to a ready, aim, fire kind of mission. Sorry, I said that wrong. Jesus does call us to a ready, aim, fire. What he does not call us to is a ready, fire, aim kind of mission. That makes sense, right? You see the difference there? Picture you're, you're shooting a bow and arrow firearm or something like that at a shooting range. You have to know the target you're shooting at, right? Line it up in your sights. Get your breathing under control. 
get ready to shoot at your target. There's a lot of preparation that comes before you pull the trigger. Because once you pull the trigger, you can't redirect it. It's going wherever it was going, right? Jesus doesn't say, ready, go, and we'll figure out where you're going once you get going. First, he said, come follow me. But that process of identifying the right target that we're shooting at, of focusing in on it, of clarifying the priorities that we need, strategizing the way to get there, that slows things down, doesn't it? That requires patience. And as far as I know, I don't think patience comes naturally to any of us. So oftentimes, in our impatience, we think, maybe I should just start doing something, whether I really know what I'm trying to do with it or not, and hopefully I'll just figure it out along the way. Or maybe what I'll do is I'll, we'll just start out on this thing, we'll figure out where we end up, and then we'll just say, see, that's what I was aiming at the whole time. Do what I was doing the whole time. Which isn't really honest, but it's pretty tempting because it allows us to put ourselves off as successful and feel successful ourselves. On the other side, though, even though Jesus doesn't call us to a ready, fire, aim kind of a mission, that doesn't, on the other side, mean that we have to be fully formed, fully matured disciples who have it all figured out before we can even start walking with others. Like, it's a false choice if you just see it as these two polar opposites. Start day one, go to the nations, or get your PhD in Jesusology before you do anything, right? It's, it's, it's not a choice between either of those. That's where I say this first idea, the immediacy, the time component, it has to be balanced with the next idea. This idea of the circumstance in which we seek to do this. So if, on the one hand, we have this time component, which means go, go now, it's go time at the end of this three and a half years, there's also a perfectly legitimate way to translate this same form in Greek as this. Not just go now, but as you go, make disciples. Do you see the little bit different emphasis there? This isn't so much talking about the timing of it as, as it is the settings, the circumstances in which we seek to do this. When do we engage in learning to be disciples and make disciples? As we go. As we go where? Wherever we go. Does that make sense? As we go about normal life and activities at work, at home, school, neighborhood, among the people that God has placed around us who don't know him and the people that God has placed around us who do know him. They are our teammates in this mission. I think this as-you-go aspect of the word go is just as important as the immediate go now. From this perspective, we can see that really what Jesus is doing here is he's hearkening back to an even earlier commission. This is Jesus' great commission, but it ties into the earlier commission that Moses gave to the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me show you what I mean. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. This is the most famous passage in the Bible. If you take Christians and Jewish people and put it together... More than John 3.16, this Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, is the most often quoted passage in Scripture. The, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Do you see some of the similarity between what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 28 and what Moses says here? When were the people of Israel to teach their children, the next generation, those coming after them, the commands of God? In what settings were they to do it? Sit down, rise up, walk along the way, sit at home, all of it. All the settings of life. The way you farm your fields, the way that you buy and sell, the way that you deal with bodily ailments and disease, all that kind of stuff. All of it shaped what it meant to live under the good rule of God. So in all of life, in all settings of life, was the arena, the school for discipleship for the people of Israel, right? In the same way, In what circumstances or settings are we as followers of Jesus to be engaged in being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus? When you sit at home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, as we go. Does that make sense? As we go. These first two aspects, this time aspect of go now and make disciples and the circumstantial aspect of make disciples as you go, this really helps us to hold together and get a big picture of what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Go make disciples and make disciples as you go because in many ways we see this is the exact pattern that Jesus set for his disciples in the way he walked with them. Jesus didn't stay in one spot. We see in his ministry that he kind of had like one main base of operations, like a home base, if you will, in in the the town of Capernaum, this little fishing village right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. That was kind of his base of operations. But he didn't just stay there and he didn't just broadcast radio signals of his messages elsewhere and things like that. No, no, he, he recognized, I must go to the other towns and communicate this good news as well because that's what I've been sent for. So he would go from town to town. He would speak publicly. He would teach publicly. He would heal publicly. He would deliver people from evil spirits publicly. He would raise the dead. All of this was to demonstrate the reality that he is God's king, that he is God-made man, and that the kingship, his rule is good, and you find life under it. And as amazing and powerful as the public ministry of Jesus is, which is why it's recorded for us in four different gospels, what we also see in those gospels is that the public stuff that Jesus did wasn't the main point. The main work that drove him, even in the public things that he did, was the way that he was investing his life day in and day out in those 12 apostles and the other group of disciples that were along with them. Jesus' main work was discipleship. Walking daily with them, teaching them, equipping them, preparing them for the day when we see here in Matthew 28, after Jesus' resurrection, after his defeat of Satan, sin, and death, he would look at them and say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, it's go time. Go make disciples of all nations by following the same as-you-go pattern that I sent for you. 
There's a lot that we can learn when we look at the pattern of Jesus's life and the way that he walked with the disciples. I would say two of the biggest ideas that, that stick out to me as I, as I just read and ponder and want to model myself after the example of Jesus is we see the way that Jesus discipled the, the disciples in ways that were both proactive and reactive. You know what I mean by that? Proactively, ahead of the curve, if you will, times where he would he, these set aside more structured teaching times. I want to walk with you specifically to help you understand the truths of God's kingdom and what it means to live in light of my kingship. The whole book of Matthew is kind of structured around these five main set-aside teaching times of Jesus, where he seeds the conversation with the things that he knows they need to know and be and do in order to carry out the mission he's going to give them. But we also see, just as often, if not more often, Jesus' discipleship of the 12 was shaped by the stuff they encountered as they went from place to place, as they go, right? The questions the disciples would ask about, hey, what, what happened back there? Why couldn't we do the thing that you could do? Or what does it mean that this is going on? Or sometimes the people that would come up to Jesus with their hurts, their needs, my daughter is dying, please come help me, Right? There was a reactive, responsive way in which Jesus was flexible. There's a determination to say, you have to know and be and do these things. And there's also this flexibility to see what came during the day and respond to what came during the day. Sometimes even Jesus' discipleship of his guys was based upon the stuff they saw as they walked from place to place. Hey, Jesus, look at that tree over there. Oh, yeah? Okay, come back tomorrow and let's see what that tree looks like, right? Hey, Jesus, look at how amazing these stones are of this temple. And even still today, we look at it and go, how the heck did Herod build that thing? And Jesus goes, man, the day's coming when not one stone will be left upon another. They will all be thrown down because my people did not recognize the time of their visitation. His training, his discipleship encompassed all of life. The reactive, the proactive, all of it was part of Jesus' curriculum of discipleship. The point of, of all that is just to say this. When we look at the example of Jesus, his method was not primarily highly structured classroom institutional settings. But it also wasn't just him and the guys grabbing a cup of coffee and seeing what came up in their conversations. He was proactive. He seeded the conversation, responded to their questions, and all of it was to make sure they understood the essential components of what this gospel of the kingdom is all about so that they could carry it out to others. So that's kind of this big picture of the go now and the as you go, the, the time and the circumstance of this whole thing. Let's more briefly now take a look at the other one, the, the global and local aspects of go. Again, the global side of this is pretty dang clear to see, right? Right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of whom? Not just a nation, not just a particular nation that you may want to make great again. All nations. All nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is clearly a global scope to this mission that Jesus has given us. To make disciples of all nations must mean going to all nations. But does that mean that Jesus meant for these 11 apostles and whoever else was with them on the mountain to get to all nations themselves? To get it done during their lifetime? I mean, they got pretty far. 
They did pretty well. I mean, when you look at the first century, that first generation of the church, the, the, the apostles and those just behind them that they discipled, we see that within that one generation, they basically got the gospel throughout the entire Roman Empire and beyond, even as far as India, and made disciples in all those regions and planted these local groups of people throughout that region. They did pretty good, didn't they? And yet, for all of the immediacy of this, go now, Jesus says, he must have known that the mission, the scope of the mission that he was giving them to disciple all nations would take many, many generations, which is why we're here today. So in this huge scope, go make disciples of all nations, where should they start? How should they begin this global mission? Well, this is where the other great commission passage that we've been looking at in Acts chapter one, verse eight, is really helpful. Take a look at this one. Again, this is now on Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. In Matthew 28, he's on a mountain in Galilee with his disciples. Now he's in Jerusalem on a mountain. And immediately after saying these words, Jesus ascends back up into heaven. These are his parting words to the disciples. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now again, where were they when Jesus says these words? They're in Jerusalem. So where does Jesus tell them to start on this global mission? Right where they were. Start where you are in Jerusalem and go from there to the surrounding towns of Judea. And, and don't forget Samaria. I know you want to forget Samaria because you don't really like those people and there's a lot of bad history between the two of you. But even there, make disciples there. Oh yeah, and then don't just stop with Samaria. Keep going to where? The ends of the earth. It's, it's the pebble dropped in the pond and the ripples keep going out from there. He says, start right here where you are and then keep going. Make disciples as you go and keep going to the ends of the earth. This is where that local and global dynamic of this whole thing come together. Watch this. Here's what's really interesting. The Great Commission clearly has a global scope. Go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. And yet how does Jesus go about, tell us to go about doing this? by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. Make disciples of all nations, global scope. But baptizing, helping people to declare their allegiance to King Jesus alone and their, 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 their family relationship with the body of Christ through the waters of baptism, that happens up close. Teaching people to keep, to observe, to practice and pass on all that Jesus has commanded, that happens up close through local, intentional, personal discipleship relationships. Global, make disciples of all nations. Local, do it in these up close personal relationships just like Jesus had done with them. Even when people are sent from one location to somewhere else, they're not just sent to the nations in general. They're sent to specific nations. Actually, the word in Greek, nation, maybe we think of like a geopolitical kind of nation state. But the word in Greek is the word ethne, what we got our word ethnicity from. 
So in some ways, Jesus says, make disciples of all ethnicities, all people groups. You can define those by um, uh, common genealogy. You can define them by common language, common region that they live in, common just the, the situations of history that create these different pockets of people. But Jesus says, whatever ethne, whatever people group it is, disciple them. So even when people are sent from here to other places, they don't just go to the nations, they go to a specific group of people, ethnicity, city, neighborhood, language group, or something like that, so that once they go there, they can engage in the same sort of personal, relational, as-you-go type of discipleship that Jesus modeled. This is where the global and the local really do come together for us. So again, think about yourself. Whether God calls you as a follower of Jesus to stay here and make disciples, or we as a church family discern together that God is calling you to go elsewhere, based upon what Matthew 28 teaches us, we should expect both of those realities to be regularly happening in the life of our church family. Whether we're dealing with different ethnicities or languages or regions or cultures, whether we're talking about making disciples in urban settings or suburban settings or rural settings or straight up huts in the jungle settings, it's the same personal wherever we go. Being disciples and making disciples happens as we go through up-close, personal, intentional discipleship relationships. Does that make sense? Have I proved my point to you? I hope so. Because what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes just to unpack what these four aspects of go mean for us as a local church. First, remember what we just looked at from Matthew or from Acts 1:8. Speaking from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, where did Jesus tell his disciples to start? In Jerusalem. So as a local church in this city, in this community, where do we start? Here. Simi Valley, the surrounding neighborhoods, the workplaces and where, places where we spend our time. This is our Jerusalem. This is the primary place, the first place where we engage in being and making disciples as we go about the rest of life while keeping our eyes to the global horizon of the mission that Jesus has given us, amen? A couple weeks ago, I referenced Andy Crouch, a book by Andy Crouch, where he talked about that the two main ways that humans use power is to make stuff and to make sense. Do you remember that? This idea that we as humans are called to join God in making things from the stuff that God has made and then making sense of the world that he's made, uncovering, discovering meaning, assigning value to the things that we see in the world. If you've given that any thought over the last couple of weeks, or even if you're just thinking about now, think about this for a second. When you think about your normal daily life, the things that normally occupy your time, whether that's work or education or something like that, the things that you mainly spend time doing, do those things fall more in the making stuff category or the making sense, meaning category? What'd you say? I would imagine in pretty much any of our jobs, in any of our, our, the things we do with our time, it's a combination of both. You may be more on the stuff making side, you may be more on the sense making side, but, but there's a sense in which we are seeking meaning and to uncover meaning in whatever kind of work we do. But the point I want you to see from this is whatever that is, whatever your normal daily work rhythms, the places where you spend your time, 
That's your as you go. That's the context, the, the circumstance in which you get to engage in being a disciple and making a disciples. Workplaces, schools, neighborhoods. And yes, even in this place, on this church campus, not just here, though we're grateful for this facility and, and the usefulness that it can have. But I would say that as you and I learn to engage in our everyday work under the good lordship of Jesus, whether that's making stuff or making sense, we have the opportunity to engage in our greater work, our main objective. As we make stuff and we make sense of the world around us, we get to be a part of making disciples as we go. To learn what it means to follow Jesus' good rule, to see how that shapes the work that we do. And then through the work that we do to show the goodness of Jesus' rule to those around us, to witness to the goodness of who Jesus is. As we learn to carry out our normal work as disciples of Jesus, not separate, not compartmentalized away from church time and discipleship time, but as the circumstances in which our discipleship plays out, what this begins to do is it opens our eyes to the opportunities that are all around us each day to be disciples and to make disciples in our normal work and relationships. As we come and go, as we sit down, as we rise up, as we raise our children and teach them and discipline them and even cheer for them at their games, even when the coach doesn't play them in the position that you want them to be in or the ump makes a bad call, even that is an opportunity to show the good rule of Jesus, oftentimes through restraint, right? Discipleship plays out in the way that we also make sure that our kids' schedules and our own, our own schedules are not so overrun with so many different activities making us go so many different places. So that way, as an essential part of discipleship, we can model what it looks like to be committed to a local group of believers, a local church family, to prioritize time to love and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And from there, from these relationships to love and serve those around us. All of that is discipleship too. Do you believe that? All of life becomes our school for discipleship. Let me, let me keep going here. That's our as you go. This is how we engage in making disciples in the context of everyday life. But as we keep going from there, we keep in mind, again, this discipleship to all nations, the call to make disciples of all nations. This is why, as a local church, we remain committed to equipping and sending and supporting those who will go from us to other places, engage in church planning, cross-cultural missions work. This is a huge part of our DNA as a church, and, and I hope that it continues to be. In our almost 30 years of history as a local church family, we have been an active sending church, sending people around the country, around the world. Again, not just to reach the nations, but to engage in hands-on personal discipleship amongst people. Along the way, we've also learned a lot about what it actually takes to equip and send and support people around the world well. What it takes to prepare them well for it. I think honestly, looking back, there's definitely been times where we as a church have operated with much more of that ready, fire, aim mentality in the way we've sent people. 
You ready to go? Cool. Let, let, let's send you, and then we'll figure out if you're ready for it once you're there. We want to learn from those experiences. Again, not all those experiences, but man, it's definitely been a learning curve for us. We want to learn from those experiences how to do a better job of preparing people to serve in other places on the earth. And I would say a key part of learning to do a better job with that is learning to do a better job of making and being disciples here within this local church family. That's why we're making such emphasis on these ideas of discipleship and membership. We see that before Jesus told these guys to go, he first said, come, follow me, learn from me, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you what it means to have your character shaped by me. Let me teach you what it means to be a messenger of this gospel. And that's what we want to help each other to do here so that we can send each other elsewhere to continue the same work. Because there is much work that remains. I remember talking with one of our overseas partners and, and she said, the unreached people groups, the people that still have not encountered the gospel, they're, they're still unreached because they're hard to reach. All the easy to get to places have gospel witness present in them. Again, it needs to be strengthened and encouraged. But in some ways, the places where the gospel 2,000 years later still hasn't gone, it's because it's hard to get there and it's hard to stay there. Sometimes it's just geographically remote. Sometimes you have a hostile government that doesn't want Jesus' followers there. Sometimes it's hard to stay in. It's expensive. It's taxing on our health. That's one of the main things when we've seen partners sent out from our church come home permanently from the field. I would say that the biggest reason typically is physical health because it's hard. There's warfare, natural disasters, all those things that cause, that present difficulties. And yet Jesus says to us, go. Go to all people groups. Go witness to the ends of the earth. So as a local church family, let us go. Let us send and support well. There's a lot more opportunities we'll have a chance to see even next month, even starting with that CHF food pack event. You had that little paper on, your, on, on the chair when you came in. Would love to have you come join us in that. Just a real simple, tangible, hands-on way that we can love and support our partners in other parts of the world. There'll be some more opportunities we'll look at more in the month of August. But I would say this to you. We need help caring for our missionary partners well. And if that's something that you would like to do, be a part of supporting and caring for our partners in other parts of the world, come join us in that. I would say first, come join us in membership. Come commit yourself to be and make disciples as a part of this church family. And in that process, let us know your heart to care for partners elsewhere in the world. And we can help equip you to do that well and connect you with ways to care for missionaries, whether that's some of our home front teams, that groups of people that support individual partners, possibly even on our global missions team, a group of us that basically on behalf of all of us seek to care for all of our missionary partners. One of the things we regularly need when missionaries come home on furlough, on home assignment for months at a time, is ways to house them. It's not cheap to live here, right? There's ways and means that we could have to even provide shelter and, and housing so that our missionary partners can be cared for and engage in this local church. If you've got extra rooms or a lot of extra rooms in your house, let us know. We would love uh, to, to in, engage you in that. On the other hand, if you're interested in going to other places, if you're interested in being sent out from this church to be a part of hands-on making disciples in other places, Again, I would say to you, the first step in that process 
Commit to being and making disciples here as a part of this church family. Commit to membership. Let us walk with you. Let us begin to know you and equip you for that. Later on in the series, Todd's gonna give us a lot more detail on what we call our discipleship pathway, the way in which we, the, the roadmap that kind of guides the way we wanna grow as followers of Jesus. Whether that's helping people who don't know Jesus to connect to him, or those who come to connection with Jesus to commit to this life of discipleship. And then how do we equip people to embrace that call to be a part of making disciples in other places? Speaking of that, here's maybe the thing that I wanna wrap up with. Earlier this, in the service, uh, Dennis prayed for our high schoolers and the high school staff that are up at the houseboats this, this week. They'll come back on Tuesday. Uh, Thomas earlier uh, had planned a sermon series for these trips on the Great Commission. Huh, interesting. Kind of unbeknownst to us as we were planning the summer series. So I don't think that's quite coincidental. But as you think about it, especially if you have children that are up there, and if you don't, if you're just part of this church family, this is part of that next generation among us that are, that are on this trip right now. There are students on this trip who need a real connection to Jesus because they don't know him. Pray that they would meet him, that they would hear that call to come find new life in Jesus. We have students on that trip who have heard a lot about Jesus perhaps all their life, but they have not yet embraced that commitment to say, yes, I wanna follow you. Pray in the same way that they would embrace that commitment to be disciples. And I, I fully believe this. We have students and staff on that trip who need to embrace God's call to be sent as disciple makers in other places around the world. Not right when they get back, right? Not this ready, fire, aim mentality but to come back from this trip ready to reposition their life on a trajectory of discipleship with that goal in mind. If you're a parent of a high schooler and your student's up at the trip right now, let me ask you this question. Are you open to that possibility that God might send your child, your son or daughter somewhere else? Imagine this, they come home Tuesday afternoon you say, hey, how was the trip? All oh, the boating was fun and all that kind of stuff was cool. But mom, listen, dad, listen. I think I wanna go across the world to make disciples. How would you respond to that? Would you kind of pat him on the back? Oh, yep, I remember that camp high thing. Don't worry, it'll fade. <laughs> would you secretly be very panicked? Seek to dissuade them because, oh, that's... That's not what I've envisioned for your life. That's not what I hoped you would do when you get older. I, I didn't expect you to go that far away. There's a very real legitimate concerns in our minds. Or on the other hand, will you remember Jesus's words here in Matthew 28? That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and that includes the authority to direct the path of your child's life. Even if Jesus leads them far away from you, are you willing to trust his words that he is with them always and with you always to the ends of the earth? Will you be willing to follow Jesus' example and, and even say, Lord, this is not what I wanted. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done in my child's life, in my family's life. 
Will you be ready to disciple your son or daughter, to encourage them to be discipled by others who will equip them to embrace that calling to be sent other places to engage in disciple-making? I'm taking time to talk about this because the reality is in the 30 years of our church, many, if not most, of the people that we have sent out as missionaries to other places, you know when that fire was lit to make disciples among the nations? It was during their high school years. It was when people, especially former missionaries, guys like Thomas, who came and said, listen, this is what you could spend your life doing. And they went, yes, I want to spend my life doing that. I fully expect and hope that God would do that again in the life of our church. As we pray for our students, let's pray for ourselves. Lord, what you're doing in their lives as they come home, would you prepare us to walk with them faithfully, to disciple them well, to give us wisdom on when it's time to say, go. This is the mission, this is the commission that Jesus has given us. So as we close, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just say this to you. Even though my whole message today is focused on this word go, that's not the word you need to hear. The word you need to hear from Jesus is not go. The word you need to hear is come. Come follow him. Come find life under his good rule. Come follow Jesus and know that he wants to make you a fisher of men, a disciple maker of others. If you have questions about that or want someone to pray with you, we got some folks that'll be up at the prayer room. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, as Todd so often reminds us, we are part of the greatest thing ever. Not because we say so, but because Jesus says so. And guess what? He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. Our king has commissioned us. He has promised to be with us. His spirit empowers us. Amen? Would you stand with me? I'm gonna ask the band to come back up. We're gonna sing one more song together to our good and gracious king. But let me just bless you in this way. I'm just gonna proclaim the great commission over you. Church family, I love you. It's a joy to be one of your shepherds. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, amen? Therefore, let us go and make disciples of all nations and make disciples as we go, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep, to practice and pass on all that Jesus has commanded us, and guess what? Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. God bless you.